We're continuing with uh, Matthew. Uh, we've been really plodding our way through this um, because we love the Word of God. And, and why race through? You know, it's good stuff. Jesus said some amazing things, did some amazing things, all captured for us uh, to wonder at, marvel at, study, be bemused by, puzzled by. And today we're doing some stuff that is, frankly, if you read it the wrong way, rather puzzling. Um, Jesus has been through a period where he's been telling lots of parables. His cousin has been beheaded. He straight from that feeds the 5,000. He then walks on water. Uh, he then rebukes the Pharisees. And I would contend by this point that he might be feeling a little bit tired. He's, there's been a lot going on. He was a man as well as fully God. He was fully man. And we do know that Jesus at times... Withdrew. I think if you'd walked on water, watched your cousin or heard about your cousin being beheaded, fed a few thousand people miraculously with a few loaves and fishes and had some uh, confrontations, you would be drained too. And so Jesus withdrew to a region of Tyre and Sidon, we're told. And so we're picking this story up from Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. And uh, this always happens to me. I don't know why this happens to me. I always seem to draw the straw of the really complicated passage that's puzzled people for 2,000 years. Um, and then in the middle of a full tilt week, I have to try and get my head around it. And I think I have. So, well, it is all of God, Colin. It is all of God. Definitely not me. Uh, this sermon may last 10 minutes, uh, but we'll see. So, um, let's read it first. Uh, the way that most people would read it. Uh, Matthew 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out loud, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, is it not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then in an apparent rapid change of heart, it says, then Jesus said to a woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Well, that's a little bit of a weird one, don't you think? No? If you don't think it's weird, please come and take my place. Because I think that's a bit astonishingly odd. Uh, you've got Jesus withdrawing, to uh, obviously to get some rest. Uh, if you consider this, uh, the region he's gone to is now sort of Palestinian territory. It's like Gentile territory. He's moving out of the Jewish areas. Those areas were, were Tyre and Sidon were not Jewish areas. So he's kind of like, I think this is Jesus going dark. Like he's, he's going off the grid a little bit. So he's not harassed. Because you notice he gets harassed a lot. Have you picked that up so far in the first 15 chapters? He gets harassed a lot. And so sometimes he just tries to get out of dodge get a little bit of a rest so he does that and then this woman finds out he's there and and 
Jesus, first off, ignores her, which doesn't seem very Jesus-like, does it? Jesus ignoring people. And then the disciples are decidedly grumpy and definitely not very nice. Like, oh, for goodness sake, that whinging, crying woman with the demonized daughter, just, just get rid of her. That's, I mean, I'm adding a few words in, but that's essentially what's happening. I don't think one disciple said one thing. You have to read into it a bit. They're obviously like, oh, get a shot at that stupid woman. She's doing our head in. We've come here for a rest, a cheeky kebab, a cold drink. We just want to get a bit of a kip. That stupid woman, just get rid of her. So that's playing out. And then Jesus calls her a dog. That's not the Jesus you know, is it? I find, don't you find that a bit interesting? Jesus calls her a dog. Because they called the Canaanite people or Gentile people dogs. The Jews used to do that. In fact, they might still do, I don't know. But they definitely called them dogs. They're like, they're a nothing. And the dogs are like unclean animals. Did you know also that the devout Jew, back in those days, if they got too close to like a non-Jew person, a Gentile, some of the strict Jews, the Pharisees and so on, and the Sadducees would think that being in close contact to such a person actually made you ceremonially and spiritually unclean. So like, when he's calling her a dog, that is not unfamiliar territory. But then the woman, she's a little bit sparky. And do you notice, like, she gets back in his face a little bit. And then suddenly, Jesus has a massive apparent change of heart and the daughter gets healed. Then it's crack on business as normal. Don't you find this a really strange thing? This isn't the Jesus you know, is it? Is this the, the kind, gentle, meek, loving Jesus that you all love and worship and adore? No? Yes? Or is everyone getting slightly worried or confused now? Let me show you a let me show you a picture of the Jesus you all know. Uh, the serious Jesus. This is this is I'm not trying to be reverent, I'm just being honest. This is serious Jesus. I wonder, I wonder when you picture Jesus, who you picture. I wonder what image you picture. I wonder how you read the Bible when you read it. I wonder how you pray. I wonder how you feel like the Holy Spirit is interacting with you all the time. I wonder that. I wonder if you read everything that Jesus said as if it has an element of deep seriousness and like mild terror attached to it. You know, like everything's a little bit grim and everything has a very sort of deeply serious undertone to it. And, you know, there's like no humour and every parable has a stern lesson. Do you read the... Honestly, be honest. How many of you follow... Serious Jesus. One person has put their hand up at the back and confessed to only knowing serious Jesus. Come on, be honest with me. 
I, you know, what do we slip into? The default. How many of you here slip into default? Stern Jesus. No one's come on. It's not a game show, but interact with me. How? I, I mean, I do. I, you know, if I'm reading my Bible, I'm, particularly if I'm listening to David Suchet at 6.15 as I drive across the Peak District, it's always serious Jesus. Or how many of you have occasionally even, just occasionally, happy Jesus? Please show me happy Jesus. Happy Jesus! How many of you have a communion with happy Jesus, who even, now, I'm, I'm worried now I'm going to get drummed out the church, even laughs. <laughs> Two people, the Boston's on it, three, four. We're getting more advances now. There's more advances. A few people, what about my daughters? You with laughing Jesus or serious Jesus? My, that was a voice throw thing. So, no, <laughs> no, it's good. I think, actually, by default, a lot of us have a serious Jesus in our heads and hearts. And I think that's okay. That, I think it's right, actually. Sometimes Jesus said things and they are deeply confrontational. He appeals to the deep things of our hearts. He calls us to correction. He strives to keep us on a path of holiness through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are words that are apocalyptic. There are words that Jesus speaks that carry an eternal destiny weight to them. But there are also times when Jesus could be mildly facetious, very witty, and deeply humorous. The problem is that we read these words in the Bible through a 21st century filter of our comedy and culture. So, like, a wolf in sheep's clothing, it sounds like a serious phrase. And, and it was, but you can imagine when Jesus said, beware of wolf in sheep's clothing, the Jewish listeners would go, whoa, wolf in sheep's clothing, whoa. Oh, really? But the message goes in. Or like, a plank, a plank in your own eye. That's actually funny. That's actually funny, but it's not funny to you, but it was funny to them. Like, it's funny imagery, because Jesus was a master communicator. So he knew how to say things, so it got, like, embedded, not embedded in your head, like the plank in your eye, but he would embed truth into people by using humorous phrases. You know, a camel through the eye of a needle. People were going, oh, ha, ha, camel through the eye of a needle. You know, master, you say silly things. And then they go, hmm, maybe it's true. <laughs> that's what it was like. Like those humour. We know he went to parties and he, you know, he hung out with outrageous people and had a blast. And then he could turn the thumbscrews on and be really deep and like, and you'd be like laughing one minute and then going, oof, that, that, that cuts deep. Actually, I think, do you know what, honestly? I think that's what's happening here. So honestly, what I think is happening I think we've read this, many people, deeply incorrectly. And, and, and people would look at this and say, oh, do you know, maybe Jesus was grumpy or he's not always the nice person we thought he was. And, but then he had a change of heart. But it's not. 
you've got to look into what's happening. Jesus, leaving that place, withdrew. And a Canaanite woman came along. Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter's demon-possessed, and she's crying, and she's desperate. And Jesus, like he's clever. So he doesn't, he doesn't say anything. And then he's not with the Canaanite woman then. And then his disciples, they're outside probably, because they're like, they're probably the doorkeepers. They're like trying to shield the boss. So they're hanging out with this woman outside, and she's bumping her gums, and she's, they're doing her head in. They're the disciples' heads in. They're like, oh, for goodness sake. And so then they go into Jesus and they say, oh, oh, come on, Jesus. Can we just like, oh, just let's send her away because she keeps crying out. I think what you get then is a slightly wry, almost sort of facetious approach where he says, he's like saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And they're going, uh, was he? Uh, what's happening? And then, and then the woman came and knelt before him. So how did that happen if they were trying to keep her away? So it's almost like the, the missing bit of the story is like, <laughs> I was only sent to the Lord's Sheep of Israel. And they're like, don't uh, maybe just let her sneak in. And then, and then she comes in. And like everyone's watching, the disciples, because like, they can be a bit slow sometimes, they're like scratching their heads. And she's like, Lord, help me. And then Jesus is, he's like, is it, is it right for me to throw a bit of bed to the dogs? Because intriguingly, the word dog here is not wild dog. The word dog here is like puppy dog, pet dog. Fluffy dog. Actually, honestly, it's true. I looked it up on Wikipedia and the Greek words and everything. I did it earlier this morning, so I know that's true. So it's not like my theory was right. I'm reading, I'm thinking, my theory is right. So she's like, she now gets a permission. So this interesting exchange takes place. He's saying, is it, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the puppy dog. And she says... Because now she's got a voice. It is not. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus is like, ha, ha, yes, be healed. And the disciples are like, I don't get what's going on. She says, she's like a Gentile and everything. The only way you can make sense of it is when you read on. Because what happens next? He feeds the 4,000. And he does loads of miracles. Look. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountainside. He's still probably in Gentile territory. We know this because of where the 4,000 miracle happens. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. And people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind singing, and they praised the God of Israel. The Gentiles praised the God of Israel because we know from the geography that all this was happening in Gentile territory. They were praising the God of Israel after centuries of enmity. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've been with me for three days of nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? 
this this like happened like it wouldn't have been a chapter ago to them but like a few days ago this has already happened how many loaves do you have jesus said seven they replied and a few small fish sound familiar from chapter 14 and he told the crowd to sit down on the ground he took the seven loaves and the fish and he given thanks he broke bread gave them to the disciples and everyone ate and was satisfied and after the disciples picked up the seven baskets, basketfuls of broken bread that were left over, the number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. After Jesus sent the crowd away, he got, in his, got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. That happened in Gentile territory. All of that. All of it. The first feeding of the 5,000 was in Jewish territory. The second miracle we know was not. That whole interplay between Jesus and the Canaanite woman is this. <laughs> it's like, watch this, boys. You really are a little bit slow on the uptake. That whole thing is almost comedic. And you can imagine the disciples like scratching their heads going, what's going on? And we know this is true because John 10.16 says something very profound. John 10.16 says, I have other sheep not in this fold. Like, you've been saying all this time, my, my mission is primarily to the people of Israel. Yes, but I have other sheep too, like you. You. It's a massive sign. It's a theological sign. It's a philosophy of mission. It's everything. It's Jesus saying, I'm here for all of you, actually. And I'm not calling that woman a dog. I'm referring back to what you have called her. You, you call the Canaanite people dogs. You call the Gentile dogs. But me, no. They're my precious children. And you watch what I do. So there's no sudden turn here because the Canaanite woman got a bit chippy and a bit sassy and fought back. That's actually not what it is. Actually, it's Jesus unfolding some deep truth in front of us. There's two points, very briefly, that I want to make out of this. And they're not long points this morning. The first thing is this. Be very careful how you picture the Lord. Honestly, you know, we've, we have killed people off by having an image of the Lord that is stern, harsh, unloving. Everything a serious point. Everything stern. Everything strict. No joy. Far be it from us to have joy in our faith dare you even consider laughing in a church like it's so far from where Jesus was at and the way he interacted with people to be honest we all come across a bit thick compared to the mastery wisdom and love and grace of God we're all a bit dim we're all a bit slow on the uptake and the more you understand that the more when you read the Bible I'm just like the disciples I'd be like just get away she's a faff just, you know, get that woman away. Then it'd be, you know, I'd be listening to Jesus going, ha, 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 yes, yes, do we throw the bread to the dogs? Ha, ha, ha. I'd be like, what's going on? Because I'm a little bit slow as well. You've got to understand when you read the Bible, we sometimes read him through a lens of 21st century understanding that he's so far removed from his character. There are times when he is stern. There are times when he issues a rebuke, particularly to religious people. But to those who are perishing and those who are desperate, 
He often uses humour to undo people. He uses amazing illustrations. And his heart is so for rescue, Jesus. Everything you read in the Bible, it's all about rescue. It's all about people's lives being transformed. And that whole mission and mandate has been passed on to us, all of it. Your lives are about seeing people rescued. Like we're meant to follow in his footsteps. Like we're, we're the carriers of light, aren't we? For a broken and lost world. And, and honestly, I know there were times for seriousness. There were times of tragedy. A very good friend of mine died this week suddenly from cancer. And it's just so like gutting and life can be tough. But in the midst of that, we've got a God who knows and understands and is filled with joy. And often I think we read the Bible with a completely wrong understanding of how he's trying to interact with us and the way he approached life. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. This woman, the Canaanite woman, the Jews and the Canaanites were enemies. They, they, to say they didn't get on was probably an understatement. Like they're not best buddies. And the Jews did call them wild dogs. They were like bottom of the barrel to the Jews. And as I said, they were considered to be ceremonially unclean. Time after time after time after time, we see Jesus interacting with people that were not like him. Or even by drawing near to them, he would be considered to be a walking curse. People who are committing adultery, people with skin diseases, people who are blind, people who are lame. All the time. I mean, the, the Bible is stamped with this stuff right the way through. There's a reason for it. It's a constant message to us. You are called to love those who are not like you. We are called to reach out to those that the world might consider to be ugly. I'm talking about in your facial features. I'm talking about the totality of their lives. We are called to reach out to people that the rest of the world might consider to be scum. But that was never for us. But here's what we tend to do. In my experience, and I do the same, we eat with people we want to eat with. We hang out in our homes with people we want to hang out in our homes with. We live in areas that we're happier to live in. We do sport with the people that we want to do sport with. We go to the pictures with people we want to go to pictures with. We invite people around for takeout food the people who are like us. Right, we hang out with people like us. Is that a fair thing? I think that's a fair thing. I think that's what we do. We, we feel safer that way. I don't think it's because we're nasty. I just think we feel safer that way. I think we feel more secure. Life is easier that way. It's, it would be hard for me to hang out with a medieval tapestry expert, I think. I... I would find that very difficult, or um, I like uh, an interpreter of ancient Middle Eastern poetry. I think I would, I would struggle to make good conversation over some sweet and sour pork. Um, but maybe that's not the kingdom. And I use that illustration because it cuts both ways it's not just about hanging out with people who've got nothing it's sometimes hanging out with people who are much smarter than us and 
and, and it cuts the other way for them. So I know that there are people in this church who have brains the size of small planetary systems. Uh, it, it's a challenge for you to hang out with someone like me, but do so, because it's the kingdom. Um, uh, even in our humor, uh, I know 80% of things that I say are generally laced with dry humor. Most people don't realize that. It's a sudden thing, I think. I'm from Essex. It happens. You know, a lot of things I say are humorous to me. Like inside, I'm, making my, I'm hysterically laughing. Uh, I spoke at a place last weekend uh, being humorous, and honestly, there was tumbleweed all over the place. It was a, it was a terrible thing. Um, very embarrassing. Uh, but I, I was laughing at myself on the way home, which is a minor blessing. Um, but I think for everyone else, it's quite depressing. Um, and so I get that. There'll be, there'll be personality clashes in the church. That is the great challenge of the kingdom. I found that people I've clashed with personally when I made the effort, sometimes, sometimes, go on to be very, very good friends. Family is one of the great challenges of the kingdom. If there's enmity between the Jews and the Canaanites, man, that's nothing sometimes compared to the enmity that can exist in our families. Some things are very hard to reconcile, but sometimes we just put the effort in because that's the kingdom. There will be people in this church that you have not yet had around for dinner and spent time with. Life is busy. But wouldn't it be so ace if you just found like one person like today or a family that you've not yet had around for dinner and you just said, I would love to spend time with you because Carl said from the front, I've got to do it. But I just, you know, let's put that in a diary and let's make that a thing and get to know people who are not like you because that is the great challenge of the kingdom. The people of the kingdom, I don't believe, are called to live their lives in silos. And that's what Jesus did. He broke out. He didn't just go to the Jews. He went to those who are the Jews' sworn enemies. What a beautiful thing that is. And not only that, he, he healed loads of people. People who seem to be scumbags, who's just around healing them and feeding them and doing miracles and stuff. Why? Because he loved people. And if you're full of the love of God... You're full of the Holy Spirit, and you know you've been rescued. Well, I just put it there. One of the great challenges of the kingdom is to hang out in places and spend time in places with people who are not like you. And Hey, you can gather with like-minded people, but we're going to be in eternity with people who are not like you. So I think it's good practice right now. You know, we're going to be worshipping side by side with people that, you know, frankly you know, you might consider in this life to be a bit odd and you're going to spend eternity with them. I'm going to be with you for eternity. <laughs> I know, honestly, I'll be so annoying. I'm going to come up behind you in the heavenly city and go, only me? And you're going, oh, no, we had enough of him in Redeemer King. It's a great, beautiful change of the kingdom to break out of our silos, to picture Jesus the way he actually is represented in the Bible. Sometimes serious and stern and sometimes laughing and full of joy, but always about the mission of rescue, seeing people's lives patched up. Honestly, 
I've felt this about churches I've led for a couple of decades now. If only people could walk in and, and instantly see that sense of family and connectedness and love for one another. Sometimes I come here on a Sunday and I think, it, it, it can feel like that. I look at the chat and the warmth and the joy between people and people chatting about the Lord over a cup of tea and stuff. And, and yet still sometimes people can come in and out and not have any interaction with people. Because we're people. But let's do our best to break out. Do you get what I'm saying? I think it's such a profound signal to a lost world, really, that... The people have got a different.